This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review, heard every Sunday at noon on Zoomer Radio. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. Good afternoon and welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby's Nimer. The federal liberal government has its first ever Minister of Seniors in a newly created portfolio announced in this week's cabinet shuffle. The Zoomer advocacy group CARP is celebrating the decision. And the Canadian-made Avro Lancaster was the most famous bomber used during the Second World War and is still wildly popular with aircraft enthusiasts around the world. Two provinces are locked in a battle over ownership of one that's currently sitting in pieces in a Toronto-area hangar. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. Dementia is the top concern for Ontarians as they age. This according to a new poll from CARP and the Alzheimer's Society of Ontario. The survey found that 67% are concerned about mental decline, while virtually all respondents say it's vital for the provincial government to invest in a strategy to tackle the increasing challenges, not only for people living with dementia, but also their families. By 2020, a quarter of a million Ontarians will have have some form of dementia. If you're planning to downsize to a condo or apartment, you may want to skip the view. New research finds that the higher up you live in a high-rise building, the less chance you have in surviving a heart attack. Canadian researchers studied more than 8,000 cardiac arrests over five years in Toronto. The results? The higher the floor, the lower the survival rate. In fact, the study found that nobody living on the 24th floor or above survived cardiac arrest. Paramedics say the problem is gaining entry to the building and then losing precious seconds waiting for an elevator. They're recommending every high-rise provide a universal key entry for first responders, place a defibrillator in every building, and teach all residents CPR. Rocker Eric Clapton, Neil Young, and rapper Will I Am have one thing in common. They're among a growing number of Zoomer musicians suffering from hearing loss after decades of exposure to loud music. In addition to their testimony to the Hearing Health Foundation, a German study analyzed the health insurance records of 7 million people and found working musicians are nearly four times more likely to suffer noise-induced hearing loss than those in any other profession. They also were 57% more likely to have tinnitus, ringing in the ears, brought on by their work. 
A policeman in China is being called a hero after risking his life to save the life of an elderly man. The senior was electrocuted while fixing the wires on his electric bicycle when the officer found him lying motionless by the side of the road. Officer Wang Weian used his bare hands to remove the wires and lift the man into a truck. After running two red lights, the pickup arrived at the hospital six kilometers away in just four minutes. The older man is now in stable condition, and the video of the rescue has gone viral. I'm Libby Snymer, and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. I represent the riding of Hamilton West, Ancaster, Dundas. That's Philomena Tassi, named this week as Canada's first ever Minister of Seniors. The previous Harper government had a junior portfolio dedicated to seniors' issues, while the Trudeau government had no separate file until now. The first-term MP says it's a good fit since she already hosts a tea and talk with Tassie with Hamilton seniors. The Zoomer advocacy group CARP says it's a big win. I spoke with CARP's VP of Advocacy, Wanda Morris. I think this is terrific news. You know, what we know is that it's the voices at the cabinet table that really have a say in in policies and what's enacted. And having a full cabinet minister of seniors critical. CARP has been asking for this for years, and I'm delighted that our day has come. We used to have a minister, minister of state for seniors under the conservatives, but what happened when Justin Trudeau became prime minister? You know, there were, I would say, other priorities. There were, um, you know, ministers responsible for youth, for Indigenous affairs, and we've seen uh, action on those files. And I think, frankly, seniors took a bit of a backseat. There's an election coming up, and seniors' vote uh, will be a critical voting block, and it's great to know that some of our issues are, are going to be given priority. You had some CARP polls to back this up. Tell me about those. Well, I know that when we've polled our members in the past, 98% of respondents said that they had voted in the 2015 federal election. So, you know, we are a voting block. We've got a 1,000 people turning 65 every day. We're only getting bigger. We've definitely heard both in polling of our members and what we've heard anecdotally that seniors want a voice at the table. They're very supportive of the idea of a minister for seniors. The last time there was one, it was with the Conservative government. How effective was that? I think we have to realize there was a difference. There we had uh, Alice Wong, who was, I believe, the Minister of State for Seniors. Correct. It was not a full cabinet position. Um, now what we've got is somebody who comes from a, you know, although she's, she's been recently elected in, in 2015, she was the deputy whip. Um, she has previously worked with the prime minister, so we can suspect that she has his ear. I know she's also been um, a supporter on the pension file. So I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic that we will really have a voice at the cabinet table in this new government. And her name, of course, is Philomena Tassi. Has she ever met with you? As part of our National Day of Action, she met with a a number of our volunteers when we were actively meeting with MPs across the country. And as she's in in Hamilton, we'll be easily able to to connect with her. She's really just just, part of the greater Toronto area almost. So that will mean we can provide her with the support that she needs. When we look at her bio, we see she has uh, a lot of experience with children as a child activist. 
So I'm really pleased about the fact that she does have a, a social justice bent to her history. Now we need to make sure um, she's brought up to speed on all the many issues that impact seniors. Now that we have a minister for seniors, what are the priorities? We've been uh, focusing very much on on seers and on pensioners and the need for pension protection. But gearing up next year for the election, there's other areas that we'll be looking at as well. We have heard uh, very often from our members about the need for uh, for RIF reform. People are are being forced to take their savings out to pay taxes too early and potentially ending up in in financial straits. On the the health side of things, we know that that social isolation is an issue. the government is looking at pharmacare, and there's a, a huge need for, for some action on, on preventative health, things like uh, funded vaccinations. So those are, are all parts of what we'll be talking to not, not only um, our new Minister for Seniors, Philomena Tassi, but really all candidates for the election, making sure that they're hearing what our members want. What about home care and support for caregivers? There's a number of issues where we will always be present and always be speaking towards them. In the the federal election, we are certainly going to be asking for, as we have done for for any number of years, the federal tax credit for caregivers to be made refundable. Right now, you actually have to have taxable income to get the benefit of it. So our, our poorest and most vulnerable caregivers aren't getting any support and will certainly be you know, continuing to ask for that. Uh, and with respect to home care, what we know is those same caregivers are often experiencing a tremendous burden. Uh, it's been costed out at an estimated 26 billion dollars a year, the amount that caregivers provide to the healthcare system. So more home care would ease some of that burden and the chronic distress that many caregivers feel. Now, this is obviously coming out uh, to be ready in time for the next election. Does that concern you that uh, they seem to care with an election looming? Uh, we could get a bit cynical about that. I mean, it would have been fantastic for us to have had a, a minister for seniors right from day one. And I, you know, I'm very keen to see the mandate letter, uh, to learn who the staff are, the deputy ministers, uh, to know what will you know, happen as, as this unfolds. But I'm, you know what, at this point, I'm celebrating. I'm taking this as, as a big win, and we will um, hope to see that this appointment is followed by some real action. Okay, Wanda Morris, thanks so much. Thanks for having me. That was Wanda Morris, CARP's VP of Advocacy. I'm Libby Snymer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. Coming up, a piece of Canadian war history may be on the move. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. There's a tug of war going on over who should get a piece of Canadian war history. The Lancaster bombers were built in Milton, just west of Toronto, during the Second World War. And there's one currently sitting unassembled in a Barry hangar. Some are campaigning to keep it in the greater Toronto area, not British Columbia, which appears to be the first choice. Both groups are offering to return the bomber to her original glory and maybe even make it fly again. Dave Rohr is with Hamilton's Canadian Warplane Heritage Museum. It was the largest bomber that uh, was utilized in the uh, European theatre 
It was the only bomber mostly built in the UK, uh, but Canada was the only other country that built Lancasters. We built 430 of them at Victory Aircraft, located at the site of uh, Lester B. Pearson Airport now. Uh, we employed 10,000 young Canadians. It was a Crown Corporation set up as C.D. Howe, and we had 10,000 young Canadians uh, building Lancasters, putting out one a day, including FM-104. What happened to them after the war? Well, the odds of survival on Bomber Command were very low. And so if you were a young Canadian flying in Bomber Command, you had a 40% chance of finishing your operational tour, which meant you had to do 30 missions without being shot down and killed in action or taken prisoner of war or seriously injured. We lost 10,659 Canadians uh, in Bomber Command. And uh, unfortunately, the life expectancy of a Lancaster uh, during those years was about... uh, 40 hours. So of the 7,377 that were built, half didn't survive the uh, combat war, and the rest went into service with Australia, uh, New Zealand, the United Kingdom, and Canada. And uh, the UK retired theirs in 1956. We retired ours in 1963. Of all those aircraft, only two are left in flying condition today. One is at the Royal Air Force Base in Coningsby, England, which is uh, operated by the Battle of Britain Memorial Flight, owned by the Royal Air Force. And the other one is right here at the Canadian Warplane Heritage Museum in Hamilton, Ontario, at Hamilton International Airport. And we have owned it since 77, took 11 years to restore it to flying condition, and have operated it for 30 years. Now, we have one in Toronto that's in storage, correct? Uh, yes, it's in storage in Edenvale, Ontario, in a disassembled state. That's correct. Disassembled. Wow. Yes. yes, it's in pieces. How long has it been that way? Well, it has been disassembled for some period of time, and I believe it was shipped to Edenvale only in 2017, I believe, when Toronto, the city of Toronto took custody of the airplane back again from what was the Toronto Air and Space Museum. The second batch of uh, Lancasters that were made at uh, Victory Aircraft were their code was FM and then depending on the number. So FM-104 was uh, the airplane Toronto has. Once the Toronto bid was determined to be uh, no longer in consideration, I didn't want to undermine that bid. And then I resubmitted a bid saying that we would take the airplane at no cost to any taxpayer. We would commit to do a 10-year restoration of the airplane to static and operating condition, and that if it was feasible to restore it to flying condition, which could only be determined after uh, one or two years of a close examination and research, that we would undertake to restore it to flying condition. How much money will it take to restore that aircraft? I estimate uh, that it'll take me $1.5 to $1.8 million to restore it to static condition, and for flying condition, you're upwards of $5, 6000000 million and probably... Uh, 13 years. Council seems to say that they want to give it to a museum in BC. The staff report and the Economic Development Commission report, which has gone now to Council for further ratification, has uh, already said that they will automatically uh, recommend that the airplane go to the British Columbia Aviation Museum in Victoria. And uh, their bid, which I have not been privy to, apparently has indicated they will restore the airplane to flying condition. I know that that's a very daunting task, and uh, given the damage to the airplane is questionable, but they've said that that's what they will do. They're recommending that that's where the airplane go. If that bid doesn't go through, then they're recommending that the airplane stay in Edenville, 
and be taken possession of by a party in Edenville who will assemble it to put it in a terminal building, apparently, at the Edenville Airport. If you send it to British Columbia or you send it to other parts uh, distant from the GTAA and Golden Horseshoe that uh, the people in that area are being disenfranchised of an airplane that was given to the city of Toronto in 1966 and the history thereof, which we would like to help the city of Toronto keep alive and keep it in view for people of this region to be able to see for many years to come. If there was a motion and council made, because this, the committee's recommendation and staff recommendation has to go to council for ratification, if at that time or before that time, if there was a motion and council by one of the councillors in the Toronto to re-examine this with another proposal, such as to be restored and kept in the Golden Horseshoe area, that would be the only possibility under which it could be reviewed. Other than that, the decision's already been made. Okay. David Rohrer, thank you so much. You're most welcome, Libby. Thank you. That was Dave Rohrer of the Canadian Warplane Heritage Museum. I'm Libby Snymer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. Coming up, now that he's 71, will it still be life in the fast lane for Don Henley? You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. Welcome back to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. It's time for your International Arts Date Book. Tips for those of you who are jetting around the world. Here's Bob Comsick. The Philadelphia Museum of Art presents a selection of over 100 photographic portraits of artists, ranging from Henri Matisse to jazz great Ella Fitzgerald. The exhibit's called Face to Face. The 10th annual Liverpool Biennial is underway. It's the largest festival of contemporary visual art in the UK. 007 fans will want to book a trip to the Austrian Alps. Now open in one of the standout locations from Spectre, the new James Bond Museum requires a wild cable car ride to an angular concrete structure jutting out of a sheer cliff face. And the future of eating and living is on display at the Kunstgewerbe Museum in Berlin, making a plea for alternative forms of farming in the countryside, the city, and our own homes. With the International Arts Datebook, I'm Bob Komsik. American singer-songwriter and drummer Don Henley turns 71 today. He's best known for his work with the hugely popular 70s band The Eagles, in addition to a successful solo career. Along with the late Glenn Fry, Henley founded The Eagles in 1971. It didn't take long for The Eagles to skyrocket to the top of the charts with five number one singles, six Grammy Awards, five American Music Awards, and six number one albums. After the Eagles broke up in 1981, Henley embarked on a solo career and released a string of hits, including The Boys of Summer, All She Wants to Do is Dance, and The End of Innocence. The Eagles reunited in the 90s, but like many classic rock bands, had a tumultuous relationship and officially disbanded in 2016 after the death of co-founder Glenn Frey. Right now, we travel back to 1972 to hear the group's first charting single, Take It Easy. Well, I'm running down the road trying to loosen my load. I've got seven women on my mind. That was the Eagles with Take It Easy. Band member Don Henley turned 71 today. 
And that brings us to the end of this week's edition of the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Libby Zneimer. Be sure to come back next week to stay up to date with all things Zoomer worldwide. You've been listening to the Zoomer Week in Review. Produced by MZ Media Limited. Executive producer, Moses Zneimer. Produced by Christine Ross, Michelle Saunders, Paul Thomas, and Andre Lowy. This has been an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review. Heard every Sunday at noon on Zoomer Radio. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.